0: From Ticker Tape, this is Where's My Money. Economic growth is cyclical. There are periods of booms and busts, and it's been this way ever since economies in our modern structures have been put in place. And these cycles for the economy, whether they be growth or decline, tend to last for long periods of time. And it goes without saying that as an investor, we're always hoping to be a part of periods of growth in the economy. Because if the economy grows, it's likely that our portfolios will too. One expert investor, Vebav Agrawal, who's the founder and chief investment officer at Teji Mandi, believes we are in the beginning of a growth cycle here in India. Why? Stick with us to find out. In this episode, Vebov will walk us through his three major reasons for why he feels India is likely going to enter a growth cycle over the next few years. But before we dive into those reasons, it's important for us to understand what defines an economy and its growth. GDP when we say
1: GDP there's a well-defined formula by economists globally so that's c which stands for consumption then plus i which is investment plus g which is government spending plus exports minus imports so these are the five sort of key elements of GDP so right now i think what the government is trying to do is they're trying to fire up g and they're
0: trying to fire up i and that in turn should lead to an increase in c just Before we get into the ways in which the government is increasing their spending, in order to incentivize growth in investment from businesses and consumption from the general public, it's important to make sure we have a proper understanding of the GDP formula which Vebov just shared. To begin with, the Gross Domestic Product, or GDP for short, is the sum of all goods and services that a country produces. If this number grows year over year, it means more economic activity has occurred that year and hence the economy has grown too. The way you get that number is just by adding the following. The total consumption in a nation, the amount a government spent in that year, the number of investments made by businesses in that year, and finally net exports. An increase in any of these factors will cause the economy to grow.
1: India is looking much stronger on macroeconomic front after a very long time. And one of the major reasons for this is that three long duration cycles seem to have turned around. One is the real estate cycle, one is the corporate earning cycle, and the third is the banking cycle. These are three major cycles that bring about economic growth and make sure that the economy is in an upcycle. When we say the residential real estate cycle, what we mean is that For example whether it's the number of houses being bought or whether it's uh, the number of houses being sold or even the prices of houses so so these are three sort of important gauges through which you can uh, see how the cycle is doing and the reason it's important is that it's one of the leading indicators of economic revival even in the us the housing cycle is sort of tracked very closely and and it's uh, similar even for india it's a precursor for the other parts of the capex cycle to start and for economic growth to continue. And uh, in terms of data, if we see the inventory of housing or the number of houses that were available in supply, that is at the lowest uh, that it's been in almost seven or eight years. And that means that sales are growing faster than the supply of housing. And that's typically when uh, you, know, you, you have an upcycle. Could you just give
0: greater context toward why if there's less supply, it probably means that the economy is doing a little bit better?
1: The reason that supply is less is that over the last eight or 10 years, this entire sector has gone through consolidation phase. So a lot of developers had taken, uh, you know, a lot of loans. They had built up a lot of supply much ahead of the demand. And because of that, there's been an entire sort of consolidation curve in India. And because of that, almost 50 or 60% of developers have either gone bust or they've shut shop. And as a result of that, new housing projects haven't come up as quickly. And and because of that, the supply sort of it tapered off. And then when the pandemic hit, two things happened. One is the government gave some tax incentives uh, for people to buy houses. And, and just by being home, people realized that they need bigger houses. So I think that sort of led to a spot uh, or an increase in the housing demand.
0: Who are the stakeholders involved when residential real estate starts being purchased more? Who benefits, yes. right? So you said... The consumer benefits because they've gotten an asset, maybe the government benefits because of tax and the real estate developers benefit because they're, they're selling more of their real estate. So could you just describe further the value chain when someone buys this and how this affects the global economy?
1: The residential real estate cycle has a multiplier effect on the economy. So, you know, when the real estate cycle turns around, you know, for example, cement and steel industry, they do very well because you require that to build houses. The laborers who are involved in sort of constructing these houses, uh, they get real income. So that helps to benefit the lower strata of society. And also in the neighborhood that surrounds these residential areas, there's a local economy there as well. And that entire economy also benefits, whether it's the grocery shop, whether it's the neighborhood laundry or uh, even the local market. And when this is done at a scale like all over India, that obviously has sort of a magnifying effect for the whole economy. And it's also precursor for sort of investment spending uh, in other sectors.
0: When somebody buys a home, just think about the number of industries that benefit from that purchase. For example, the house needed to be built, so the steel and cement industries benefited from the purchasing of that raw material. Also, the house didn't magically assemble itself. It requires employing construction workers, and those construction workers then earn a salary which allows these workers to have more disposable income, which allows them to spend more in their everyday lives. On top of that, if somebody buys a home, furniture shops likely benefit. Grocery stores in nearby neighborhoods benefit from having more customers. And so the result of one little action, like buying a home, has a multiplier effect that goes far beyond the simple transaction. And when homes are being purchased at scale, you can just imagine how the economy benefits. And now we've covered the first key reason why Veibhav believes the Indian economy will continue to grow, which is because he believes real estate will go into a boom. The second reason Veibhav sees growth ahead is an uptick in the banking cycle.
1: The flow of credit in the economy determines sort of how quickly the economy moves forward and how the GDP is sort of doing. And in that sense, the banking sector is the main representative of that. And flow of credit is important because like companies, for example, take loans for investment. So that has a multiplier effect on the economy. Consumers, for example, take loans for housing. They take personal loans. They take loans for cars. They take loans to buy electronic products. So that's why you can see like credit sort of facilitates the economy. And uh, so, so that's why it's uh, very important to look at the health of the banking sector. The banking sector has gone over consolidation cycle of almost seven or eight years. So what happened was that when the Narendra Modi government came, they introduced something called demonetization. And that was sort of a big hit to a lot of the NBFCs and a lot of other smaller banks and a lot of other sort of the SMEs and you know, the other informal players in the economy. And because of that, there was a huge spike in the non-performing loans. So what happened was that over over the last six, seven years, not only was there a spike in uh, non-performing loans, there was also a a slowdown in credit growth. So credit growth, which used to average anywhere between 15 to 20%, fell to as low as 5% during the COVID period. At the height of demonetization, it was 3%. And now that number stands at about 9%. So the limited point is that as credit grows, it's a barometer of the economy and the economy is likely to sort of keep growing further.
0: If the bank gives you a loan per se, how does that go on to help the overall economy?
1: So one is banks lend directly and the other is that they lend through other firms, which is like either your NBFCs or your fintech companies. So for example, if they lend uh, to companies, it means that the companies are trying to invest in infrastructure or in factories or in growing essentially their asset base so that they can generate more revenue and more profits. As far as you know, consumers are concerned, like for example, if you want to buy an Apple MacBook or you want to buy an iPhone, you can very quickly sort of uh, get a quick loan. So where you have to pay an EMI for four or five months, even a lot of the informal lending, which is done uh, either through microfinance institutions or some of the companies that do unsecured lending you know eventually the funding for that comes
0: from the banks the flow of credit is a great way to determine whether both consumption by the general population and investments from businesses will grow because if businesses have more to spend they aren't just going to hold it they're going to spend it on revenue generating activities for example if a car manufacturer gets a loan from a bank they're likely going to use it to build a factory And then that factory will then employ workers who will then be able to increase their own consumption because of increased salaries. And since that factory is also producing more vehicles, it would allow the company to grow its overall revenues. But there is obviously a point towards which more credit can become detrimental, because it can lead to non-performing loans. These are loans that people and businesses just can't pay back to the banks. And as you can imagine, banks try to reduce that number as much as possible. So
1: non-performing loan at the peak of the banking crisis, it was at 12%. And that's now gone down to 7%. And there are many reasons for that. One is, uh, you know, obviously the economy has also sort of rebounded from the lows. The second is that the government has tightened the bankruptcy laws. So because of that, a lot of companies used to take the public sector banks for a right So it's not as easy because now its processes have been made very strict. There's a lot more transparency, a lot more reporting. So I think because of that, NPLs have sort of reduced.
0: And then why do you see this potentially continuing into the future? Is there a particular reason that makes you feel that this trend toward higher credit and less non-performing loans will continue?
1: A lot of these banks have invested heavily in technology over the last three to four years. So what happens is that as the... As their balance sheet size or as their loan book increases, these costs get subsidized. So typically earlier on, it was a branch model, like where if you wanted more business, you have to set up more bank branches, like physical bank branches. So now going forward, the growth for them is going to be a lot more through their digital assets. So I think that's going to reduce their operational costs quite a bit. That's one big positive for them. And the other thing is that because the NPL cycle was high, they had to take provisions on their balance sheet. So that was almost 4% of loans. Now that's gone down to as much as 1.5%. So these provisional costs used to hit their income statement. Now going forward, because they will require much lower provisions, you know their profitability is likely to be stronger.
0: Let's move on to the third and final point, and then the third and final reason why you feel bullish about the Indian economy and that you mentioned it was corporate earnings. So could you give us context towards this and, and why it's relevant as well?
1: So between 2010 and 2020, corporate earnings had grown at a meagre 1% or 2% in India. Again, reasons for that were multiple. So the same things that hit the banking sector, real estate sector, that that had implications in the broader economy as well. And then basically when COVID hit, I think a lot of these companies became very agile. They focused on cost control measures. And so because of that, they were Im- able to improve their uh, profitability. And also the larger companies sort of gained a lot of market share from the smaller companies. And a lot of the informal economy also became more formal. So because of that, you would have thought that these companies would be hit for long. But in fact, COVID, I think, turned out to be a blessing for corporate profitability because it actually turned the other way around. So what was barely 2 or 3% over the last decade, for the next four to five years, that's expected to be 15% growth like annually, every year. So, I mean, that's a step shift in the earnings profile of earnings visibility for Indian companies.
0: Could you expand a little bit further on why you feel that this will be sustained over the long term?
1: Every economy has a cycle, even the corporate sector has a cycle, so we're coming out of a cyclical low and we're sort of going into an upcycle. So I think also corporate balance sheets are the cleanest that they've been in the last maybe fifteen, twenty years. The debt levels are extremely low, so you know there's a lot of capacity to take on debt to sort of grow very rapidly corporate governance has improved quite a bit plus the economy is also rebounding quite strongly so and companies have also become a lot uh, better on their cost control so i think if you combine all of these then uh, you know earnings growth uh, seems feasible
0: and in terms of investors looking to be a part of this growth potentially for the next 10 years or so or or however long you're bullish about the economy for how do they participate in the growth in corporate earnings
1: so I think the simplest way to to participate is to buy an 50-50 index fund because those are 50 of India's largest corporates. But if you want a more sort of sophisticated, calibrated approach where you have an active manager, then you could look at mutual funds. You could also look at small cases. For example, we have a company called Teji Mandi, So we also have two small cases We are position to sort of benefit from this entire trend.
0: This conversation was slightly more technical than our previous episodes. And it's because this topic at hand of economic growth requires a touch more of comprehensive detail. But the argument by Vebav is actually quite simple. He believes India's economy is going to grow because of three primary reasons. The first is that he believes the real estate sector is about to boom. And he believes this because the government is incentivizing home purchases and these numbers continue to rise out of a previous slump. Next, he believes the banking sector will grow. And this is because both the flow of credit is increasing and the percentage of non-performing loans are going down. And finally, Vaibhav believes that corporate earnings will continue to grow. And he believes this because the current debt levels are actually quite low in corporates, so they have room to take on more loans and ultimately grow their businesses. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Where's My Money by Ticker Tape. On this show, we simplify the finance landscape in India for you. So if you're looking to venture into stock investing, sort out your personal finance or make sense of how economic developments can impact your money this podcast will be a perfect addition to your morning commute or household chores also if you enjoyed the episode and want more of this make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform to never miss an episode and last but not least consider downloading the ticker Tape app it is an investment analysis platform for stocks mutual funds etfs and much more The link and further description will be in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and we will see you in the next one.